Good morning. Good to see all of you once again. Good morning to those of you who are worshipping online. We really miss your presence. We hope you can join us regularly on the Sunday service. If not in the cell groups, we definitely miss the kind of fellowship we can have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as we begin this morning, I want to share a testimony uh, that took place at our 5 p.m. service last week. Uh, for about a year, uh, there was a young man who suffered this very mysterious but quite horrible paralysis of his left leg. And so uh, Joshua Kwok, our former pastority member, and now he's a pastor at the Buckle Road Methodist Church, he joined me on one of the, of the pastoral visits earlier this year. And so basically, this young man, uh, he used to be our former intern, he would use crutches because for one year, his left leg was kind of paralyzed. He had no feeling and he was literally, you know, dragging his feet. Whenever he, we go to his house, we can see him dragging his feet. And then not only that, whenever he sat down, he would have to carry his own leg onto the chair, onto the bed. And with each movement, he was screaming in pain. So he went for some tests. Uh, the doctors were not able to find out the cause, MRI and so, and so forth. After a battery of tests, they came to no conclusion what exactly caused this problem, this paralysis. And so last uh, two weeks ago, uh, his aunt, who is also a Methodist pastor, visited him, and he was sharing how demoralized he was with his aunt, how he may have to accept the reality that he may never be able to walk again. And so for this young man, it was devastating, you know, to find out that this mysterious condition cannot walk. But the, at the call for healing ministry last week, Reverend Diamkai was at the back. The man, of course, was seated at the back as well, came in on the wheelchair. So during the time of ministry, Reverend Diamkai prayed for this young man. I was busy up here, not noticing what's happening at the, at the back. But I read, uh, not soon after, I saw him walk up to the front. I was like, huh? What? But I was so shocked. Praise the Lord for that. I couldn't even believe my own eyes what I was looking at. You know, I had no faith, pardon me, but I had no faith, you know, even for this young man. I praise the God. God is able to work even despite of us having no faith. And later on, I was uh, talking to the dad. I saw the dad crying at the corner because his dad had also given up hope. But then when he saw his own son walking for the first time in a year, he started crying with tears of joy. And surely we can celebrate with the family as well. Then on Tuesday, the father texted me, one of the effects of God healing my son's legs is that now he can grab my bag of snacks, give me a groovy green, and then run off. Yes, literally run off like a road runner. So praise be to God instead. We give God all the glory and praise for that. But to be completely transparent, and I need to say this as well, while the young man has regained his mobility, the pain remains. So he still feels the pain with every step, and so we need to pray and continue to trust God for his complete recovery. I share this testimony not only to glorify God, but also as an introduction to today's sermon, which is why and what if healing does not happen? Why and what if healing does not occur? What should we do? First of all, we must learn to always celebrate what God is doing, even if it is not yet complete and it has happened for someone else and not us. We must learn to celebrate what God has done and what God is doing. As human beings, unfortunately, we have this very negative bias. If I give you, for example, a blank piece of white paper, white sheet of paper, and I put one dot, everybody will focus on that one dot. <laughs> without recognizing that actually the 99% or 99.9% of the paper is actually white. So somehow our minds are wired to look at what's bad. But we need to retrain and renew our minds to look at what is good, what God has done and what God is doing. We must learn to rejoice at that. Second, we must learn to embrace mystery in a positive way, in a good way. In this case, we simply have no idea why it took one year for this young man to be healed. 
or in the gospel story we'll read in a short while, why God will take a long time before bringing healing to an individual. Let's turn to John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda or Bethsaida, depending on how you see it, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38, 38. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The one, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who he was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Celebrating what God has done, embracing mystery, and persevering by faith. Now these are the three statements that encapsulate and answer what we are to do if healing does not occur. First of all, we must celebrate what God has done or is doing, learn to embrace mystery, and number three, to persevere by faith, to continue walking by faith. As we return to the John 5 passage, let me address two things. Number one, when Jesus saw him lying there, this invalid, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, presumably Jesus obviously didn't have divine knowledge in this case. He had to ask him. Right? He found out that he was invalid for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Now that question implies that you know, it's very possible and very real for us to be stuck in a situation for so long that you simply give up hope. To be stuck in a situation and a circumstance for so long that you just give up hope. Listen to the man's reply. He didn't say, yes, I want to be well. He didn't say that. He simply pushed the blame to the circumstances. I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Sounds very dejected to me. He's been trying, but every time he's too slow to get into the miraculous water where you know, God does something miraculous. So again, many times we are so trapped by our circumstances, by our conditions, by our experiences, that we just simply give up hope. Instead of celebrating what God has done or what God is doing, we look at how we aren't healed. Now, I don't blame anyone for feeling that way because, as I mentioned at the start, we all have a negative bias. We learn to look at the bad things rather than celebrating the good things. And of course, if you're in this kind of position, it's very natural to come to the wrong conclusion that God doesn't love us as much as the other person. Right? If I'm here, lying down here 38 years, and someone else goes there, of course, I would say God loves the other person more, or, you know, I'm lousy, whatever. It's all very natural to think very negative about ourselves, or the people around us, or the circumstances, or God. And in this kind of situation, it's very natural to feel very discouraged, disillusioned, demoralized, and you just give up hope after a while. Why? Because it hurts, right? It hurts to have expectations. And then when these expectations and hopes and dreams are dashed, it feels even worse. 
So after a while of this kind of cycle, naturally what do we do? Don't expect. Don't hope. Don't dream. Because if you have expectations and you don't meet those expectations, naturally our hearts get broken. And so after a while, unanswered prayer does lead to an adjustment of expectations that we never want to hope again. We never want to you know, pray again. Perhaps no longer wanting to expect because we have been so disappointed. I was listening to the podcast by leadership guru John Maxwell the other day, and he tells the story of how he and a veteran fisherman once went fishing. Across the lake was this young lad, you know, who was pretty successful in catching fish. But they noticed something weird as well. This young lad was keeping all the small fish, but all the big ones he would throw back into the lake. After an hour of observing this very baffling behavior, his veteran fisherman couldn't take it anymore and went over and asked the young lad, Hey, looks like you've been quite successful at catching fish, right? He said, yes, sir. Then he asked, but why are you keeping all the small fish but you throw the big ones back in? The young lad replied, that's simple. I only have a 10-inch frying pan. (laughs) Now, John Maxwell then teaches a very powerful lesson. Expectations will shape us. Whether we like it or not, it will shape us in a very profound way. Expectations shape our behavior. And he says that many people have stopped seeing miracles because their expectations have expired. This guy is a wordsmith, John Maxwell. Expectations have expired. To renew expectations, he says, number one, our lives must be influenced by our expectations, not our experiences. Our lives must be influenced by our expectations, not our experiences. Specifically, don't be a prisoner of past problems or failures. Just because it failed in the past, do not allow it to affect our expectations. In the context as well of leadership, I would say even our successes, positive experiences can also be a limiting factor. But let's return to our expectations that is solid foundation in the Word of God. Number two, our lives must be influenced by our expectations, not the examples of others. Because in the context of leadership especially, leaders will disappoint us. Because at the end of the day, we are all human, fallen human beings, and no matter the best of us, at some point we'll never meet our own, you know, uh, high, exalted view of them. So people will ex- will disappoint us at some point, so we must learn to be influenced by expectations that are founded upon the Word of God. Number three, our lives must be influenced by our expectations, not our exhilaration. Because moods will vary. There will be days that we feel great, but there will be days we feel really lousy. And if we live our life based on that kind of mood swings, it will not be helpful at all. So decisions should be made on solid reasoning and factors. And what are my expectations of God's healing based upon? What I've been preaching to you these past three weeks. Number one, it is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is sufficient and complete. That is my expectation. Jesus has completed the work of redemption. Number two, it is based on character and nature of God, that He's good and He desires to heal. And number three, God has authority and the power to heal as He has demonstrated over and over again in the Gospels. Now notice these three expectations are independent of your age. So children can also pray for healing. In fact, children are sometimes better because they don't have bad experiences to hinder them. It's independent of your race. It's independent of your gender. And certainly it's independent of nationality. Because in Christ Jesus, there's no Jew or Greek. We are all one in Christ Jesus. They have nothing to do with who we are or what we have done in the past. Whether you are a pastor or not, in my mind, it's irrelevant because it's completely based on what God has done and who God is. 
For example, some people wrongly think that they can only see greater miracles in third world countries. And I know our pastors will also think like that. When they do healing rarely, they do it overseas because in Singapore, they don't see the results. And they wrongly come to the conclusion that God only works in third world countries. For me, that's a subtle line. Because once I truly understood what the Bible teaches, it is fully dependent on what God has done. It has nothing to do with who we are and where we are. I begin to expect miracles in Singapore too. And so I pray for all of us, we also have this renewed mind, renewed understanding. It is not about where we are, it is about who God is. At the same time, we need to hold this tension to recognize that accepting reality is understandable, but at the same time, perhaps even necessary. Because if you don't accept, if you're always living in denial, it will not really progress the situation. If you talk to any counselor, you will know that you first of all must come to a place of acceptance before you can be gone beyond that, look at how you can look at healing or dealing and coping with the situation or even expecting things. But the problem comes when we accept reality and construct a theology that is based upon the lack of breakthroughs or the dashed expectations. And that is the unfortunate conclusion of Jewish author Harold Kushner in his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Because he upholds his belief that God is good, his conclusion, the wrong conclusion, is that bad things happen to good people because God is not powerful. That was his conclusion. So while God is good, he believes that God stands aloof. You are there by yourself. I love you. That's all. But he is powerless. Unfortunately, I think that's the wrong conclusion and it's based upon his experiences rather than the true revelation of God's word. Number two, when we return to the passage, again, we have no idea why God would take so long to heal this man, this invalid man, 38 years, or in some cases, never heal at all. In the young man's case, why did he have to go through one year of paralysis in his leg? Why one year? Or in the case again, John 5, why did this man have to wait 38 years? Or in the other gospel passages, the woman who was bent over 12 years? Why, why, why? And if you take the extreme example in the case of the Israelites, why did they have to wait 400 years to be liberated as a nation? Just think about that. 400 years, just simple math, if someone lives to 80 years old, which is very good already, It's five generations. Five generations of suffering. You know, your great-great-great-great-grandfather suffered before you were liberated. Of course, the scripture also gives a clue. The sins of the Amorites have not reached their full. But is that really a very satisfactory answer if you are in the third generation, (laughs) stuck in the middle? Does it make sense? It won't make sense to us. Even in the case of Daniel, whom the Bible, God himself calls as righteous, we see that his prayers weren't answered immediately. And in the book of Daniel, the angel that came to him recounted how the angel was hindered from coming sooner because there's spiritual warfare going on until Michael came to help him to fight against the prince of Persia. Then he was released to come to to deliver the message to Daniel. So honestly, who knows what's happening in the unseen realm? Nobody has insight into the unseen realm except God. And so it's important to bear in mind a few things, even if we cannot comprehend all these mysteries and we don't have the answer. Number one, it doesn't mean that God isn't powerful. As Harold Kushner concluded, that's the wrong conclusion. Number two, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. As some people, again, also wrongly conclude, just because I'm not here, God doesn't love me or God loves someone else more. That is, all these are lies. We need to remove them, banish them from our heads. Number three, it doesn't mean that we are more compassionate than God. We are never more compassionate than God. In fact, the cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus sees the fallenness of the world, 
all about him. His deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering and not away from it. That is the testimony of the Gospels. God always moves towards those who are suffering and not away from it. Again, many times we are shaped by our negative experiences. For example, we may be crying as children, but instead of comforting us, our parents cane us. <laughs> Why are you crying? Psh! And because of that, we are shaped by our wrong experiences and we think, oh, God is like that. Instead of being with me, He punishes me even when I'm suffering. But we return to the Word of God, which is the real solid anchor upon which we base our expectation. Just to share with us as well, I've been to settings, you know, where the entire atmosphere, it's a healing conference, it teaches about healing. Entire conference, this whole setting is filled with healing evangelists. Everywhere we have pastors, preachers who do ministry of healing and people of great faith. But even in this context, there are people who aren't healed. <laughs> Already you have the whole atmosphere charged with faith and even then not everyone is healed. And so the answer I've come to accept is that we simply don't know why healing does not occur or takes a long time for certain people. This may not be the answer you're looking for, huh? <laughs> but this is the answer I've come to accept. We simply have no idea why healing does not occur for certain people. In fact, I know of two very famous healing evangelists. One is a local Singaporean, another foreigner, whose sons unhealed despite they themselves moving powerfully in healing ministry. Why like that? I have no idea. So, but over the years, I learned to celebrate what God has done or is doing. I embrace the mystery. I'm human. God is God. There are things I don't understand. But I continue to push on by faith. I continue to walk by faith. I never lose faith in God. I persevere and I keep praying for healing. So in short, we should not spend precious time to investigate or explain why healing does not occur. One of the Bible verses Pastor Mihi taught me when I was a young Christian was this Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed to us uh, belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. In other words, whatever God has revealed, we accept, which is the word of God. We accept it, we obey it. But there are things that we never will understand and they belong to God, so leave it with God. Now before I go further, I want to say that when it comes to healing, whether it's supernatural or natural or both, we need to learn also to steward this health all the renewed health that God has given to us. This body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to steal it well, right, to glorify God as well. So suppose one discovers that your arteries are clogged, mostly because you always eat cha kui tiao la, chai tao kui la, the zhu yu cha, you know, all the pork lard. Whoa, fantastic, right? But then because you discover this, uh, you, then you discover your arteries are clogged, you go for angioplasty or, you know, even open heart surgery. But after the surgery, What's the first thing you eat? Cha kui tiao. What would happen? <laughs> Whose fault is it if the arteries get cocked again? So whether it's supernatural or natural healing, we need to learn to steward this body, this health that God has given to us. We need to be responsible. We mustn't allow ourselves to let back into complacency or go back into sin. Right? As Jesus warned the man in this gospel account, we must beware complacency and lapsing back into sin, which is really our human tendency. <laughs> we were in pain, oh God, God, please, please, please. After we get out, woohoo, then go back. <sighs> please, <laughs> let's learn from the failures of generations and many others. Let's not go back into sin. 
Unfortunately, the problem uh, I observe is that when people go back into their sickness or ill conditions, they either deny they were healed in the first place or they blame God again. And that's very unfortunate, right? These are two lies of the enemy. But why are there relapses besides the fact that maybe we don't, you know, take care of our bodies well? I can posit a few other reasons, but none of these really are very definitive. So I hope you see them as tentative because there's still this mysterious realm and life is a lot more complex. So, for example, we live, we continue to live in a fallen world. We may be healed in the past, but because of the effects of sin in our world, we, we may again fall sick on this side of eternity. That's uh, quite normal to some extent. Number two, we again relapse back into complacency or fall back into sin. Or in the area of natural healing, we didn't take good responsibility of ourselves. Right? So that's also another reason why we fall sick again. But in the area of supernatural healing, I need to teach us that what is received by faith must also be sustained by faith. If God has healed you supernaturally, you must keep believing. You must keep believing that what God has done, celebrate it and sustain it by your closeness, your walk with the Lord. So having said that we must steward our health well, we must also hold in tension the fact that even the best, the most blessed Christian will die. Okay? So all of us will die. And this week alone, for example, I had to conduct one week and one funeral. Imagine the high of last week's 5 p.m. service. Then after that, I discover I have to conduct one week and one funeral. And that's the reality of this world that we live in. And so we must understand that healing ministry is not to circumvent death. Healing ministry is not to circumvent death. True Christians need not fear death. And physical healing is not the be-all and end-all of God's goodness. God's, good, God's goodness is everlasting, regardless of our circumstances. And we call sermon number one as well in this uh, sermon series. I mentioned then that to experience death, to some extent, is God's mercy to humanity. Because the only way for the perishable to inherit imperishability is if this body dies, then God will give to us the resurrected body. There is a glorious resurrection awaiting all of us. Whether you die in good health or not, we all look forward to that glorious resurrection. And in fact, as true believers, we must also recognize some situations of death and suffering, especially martyrdom, where you are being persecuted and you die for Jesus' name. That is actually good and glorious. So healing ministry is not to deny or to circumvent death, but it's a demonstration I have taught in last week's sermon, a demonstration of God's power and kingdom which is advancing. I believe Psalm 23 is a prophetic picture, teaches us a lot on how to respond when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, first of all, we need to know this King David, who is attributed with this psalm. He wasn't exempted from trials. He's a man after God's heart. <laughs> He's a man after God's heart, and yet his life was full of troubles. Similarly, Daniel's three friends, they went through the fiery furnace. But the thing is that God does not abandon us, either David or the three friends, when we go through trials. He was the fourth man in the fire. And that's where we take our comfort. Because God is sovereign over our trials, He will always accompany us. And that's why the psalmist writes, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The thing is, when we walk through the valley of shadow of death, there are three things we need to remember, and I've adapted them from Pastor Chris Valentin's teachings. Number one, you lie down beside still waters, but you keep walking through the valley. Still waters is a good time. Refreshing, right? Of course, you can lie down, relax. But when you go through the valley of shadow of death, don't wallow in self-pity. Throw a tantrum. Sit down there and cry and whine. If you do that, you are forever stuck in the valley. <laughs> Keep 
walking through the valley, knowing that God is walking with you. Don't prolong your time in the valley by making wrong decisions. At the same time, don't try to shorten the process by running through the valley. <laughs> you may short circuit, you may fall, you know what the, what the process that God is trying to bring us through. We just trust God. God is with us. He knows what He's doing. Keep praying, keep trusting God, keep walking with the Lord. Number two, when there's a shadow, there must be a light source. This is basic primary school science. A shadow is cast because there's an object and there's a light that shines at the object to cast the shadow. So who's the light watching over us in the valley? Number three, focus on the table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. And this is the reward we will expect at the end of the valley. I have no idea why God doesn't remove the enemies. <laughs> why doesn't God remove the enemies? I don't know. But I cling on to the fact that God is with me. His goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. We believe that the trials we face today will be the testimonies we own tomorrow. Like the young man's case, that trial resulted in a testimony. The mess of today will become the message for tomorrow. We trust that in God's goodness, everything will work for good at the end, on the other side of eternity, if it's not on this side. Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes everything in the New Living Translation, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. So the reality is that we all go through trials, difficulties, decay, diseases. And just because there's so much we can learn and grow through these trials, right? Doesn't mean we should automatically assume every bad thing and every, you know, that is, is a trial from the Lord. Not every bad thing is a trial from the Lord. Yes, as I mentioned, there's a place for acceptance, but there is also a very legitimate place to wrestle with God. Look at how Jesus prayed very earnestly in the Garden of Gethsemane. If anyone, Jesus already knew that he would be crucified. He already told his disciples, the Son of Man will suffer and then on the third day rise again. He told his disciples that. But on the night before the crucifixion, he was wrestling with the will of God. And if Jesus did that, I think there's a place for us also to wrestle with the will of God, even though we would submit to him. So very interestingly, God's timing as well for the conference Sunday next week. Uh, the pastors will exchange pulpits, so I will be here. I'll be preaching at another church. And Pastor Raymond Fong from Wesley Methodist, he will be coming here to preach. And his sermon title is Strength in Weakness. So very good. I really looked through his slides. I believe God will use Pastor Raymond's uh, sermon to teach us deeper into what I'm able to cover today. I just want to quote the very famous passage, My grace is sufficient for you, written to Apostle Paul. I personally don't think it's fair to just use those words and apply it to every single situation. Because Apostle Paul, he, I believe he was the third man caught up into the heavens, right? And then to prevent him from being exceedingly conceited. There's a special circumstance in his life that God uses this phrase. There is certainly a place to believe that God's grace is always sufficient for us. But as a pastor, I wouldn't apply it automatically, immediately to every situation. If it were truly so, Jesus would have not healed anyone, right? He just goes to everyone, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Where are all the testimonies of the Gospels? Is God's grace always sufficient? Yes. But clearly, God has also demonstrated a different way. So we should not, you know, like human beings, we like to think, put things in boxes and we limit God in that way. We need to, of course, embrace mystery and tensions, but also wrestle with God and push on towards the right expectations. 
We also know very often that in a period of trial, it is in wrestling with God that we discover wonderful things about God and ourselves, or we change and we grow in the process. But just because it has happened to us in the past, doesn't mean that we should adopt this framework always. So, for example, in seasons where, of course, when I'm sick, I ask God, God, please help me, I draw near to you. But because I now know God's heart, I don't wait for diseases to draw near to God. <laughs> I make it a discipline to draw near to God. I don't just wrestle with Him in times of darkness. I wrestle with Him as much as I can, you know, in everyday life. Honestly, ask yourselves, which is easier for a preacher or a pastor to say, God's grace is sufficient for you. Or, go minister in healing despite your own weakness. Which is easier to say? Also as a Christian, which is easier to say? God's grace is sufficient for you. I do nothing. Or go minister in healing despite your weakness. Which is easier to say? Or for us to believe, which is easier to believe? God's grace is sufficient for me and then just accept things as they are forever, or I expect to be healed, even though and even as I continue to believe that God's grace is sufficient for me. Which is easier? Certainly the second one is much harder, but I believe that's the tension we need to hold to expect God's healing even as we believe God's grace is sufficient for us. So let me wrap up this sermon series with the four pillars of faith I've covered in these four weeks. Number one, we always believe that Christ has completed the work on the cross. The full price of redemption and healing has been paid. Number two, God's character and nature is good. It is not dependent on our feelings or our circumstances. We may not understand everything, but we must trust His heart. Number three, He has authority and power. It's not because He's powerless. That's why we are still stuck. No. And number four, the fourth pillar, which is important to balance everything, is to recognize God's sovereignty and wisdom. We need to accept that we are human. As we've seen in the book of 1 Corinthians, God's wisdom is higher than our wisdom. We cannot understand everything, right? We submit to God's sovereignty and wisdom. He is the good father. He's all wise. He knows what he's doing. He is still sovereign, even in our weakness. And to end this sermon series, I want to screen a clip from The Chosen, in case you don't know, there is this new uh, adaptation of the gospel stories. It's uh, free on the app called The Chosen. You can always download the app and watch it through. There is this particular scene entitled, Why Haven't You Healed Me? So one of the church members shared with me this clip, and I believe it wonderfully summarizes all I've been teaching. So this person who sent me the clip also wrestling with God about a physical medical condition. But this clip, I think, wonderfully summarizes all I've been teaching us. Number one, the Father's will is to heal. Number two, Jesus is full of compassion and able to heal. But number three, there is a need to embrace mystery, to submit to the wisdom of the Father. But this should not be an automatic stance. It may apply to some people, but doesn't mean it should apply to everyone without thought and thinking. We learn to wrestle with God and we never stop praying for the sick. Number four, we can still pray for others to be healed, even if we ourselves unhealed. And number five, for all of us, we look forward to the glorious day of resurrection and great reward. A bit of context before I finally screen this video. So this is a conversation between Jesus and little James. Now again, this is a creative license. Huh? This account is not detailed for us in the Bible, okay? So I'm going to put it up here. So the, those producers, writers, use their creative imagination, imagination but biblical, I think, to reenact this scene. So little James walks with a limp. Compared to the rest of the disciples, he's slow, not able to function so well physically. 
And so he comes to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you sent us out to heal. But why haven't you healed me? So let's watch this video and see the conversation that Jesus has with little James. Master. Little James. May I have a moment? Of course. I am... Forgive me, I'm uh, not always confident to speak. Slow to speak. It's a very good quality. <clears throat> I wanted to ask you a question. Please? So you're sending us out with the ability to heal the sick and lame. Yes, that, that is what you said. Yes. So you're telling me that I have the ability to heal. to imagine with my condition which you haven't healed. Do you want to be healed? Yes, uh, of course, if, if that's possible. I think you've seen enough to know it's possible. I trust you. What? Little James. Precious little James. I need you to listen to me very carefully. Because what I'm going to say defines your whole life to this point and will define the rest of your life. Do you understand? In the Father's will, I could heal you, right now. And you'd have a good story to tell, yes? Yes, that you do miracles. And that's a good story. But there are already dozens who can tell that story. And there will be hundreds more, even thousands. But think of the story that you have, especially in this journey to come, if I don't heal you. to know how to proclaim that you still praise God in spite of this. To know how to focus on all that matters so much more than the body. To show people that you can be patient with your suffering here on earth because you know you'll spend eternity with no suffering. Not everyone can understand that. How many people do you think the Father and I trust this with? Hmm? Not many. But the others, there's so much more. So much more what? I don't know. Stronger? Better at this? James, I love you. But I don't want to hear that ever again. I know how easy it is to say the Song of David. That I fearfully and wonderfully made. But it doesn't make this any easier. And in this group, it doesn't make me feel like any less of a burden. A burden? First of all, 
It is far easier to deal with your slow walking than it is to deal with Simon's temper. <laughs> Trust me. Are you fast? Do you look impressive when you walk? Maybe not. But these are things the father doesn't care about. You are going to do more for me than most people ever dream. So many people need healing in order to believe in me. Or they need healing because their hearts are so sick. That doesn't apply to you. And many are healed or not healed because the Father in Heaven has a plan for them which may be a mystery. And we remember what Job said. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you pass from this earth and you meet your Father in Heaven, where Isaiah promises you will leap like a deer, your reward will be great. So hold on a little longer. And when you discover yourself finding true strength because of your weakness, and when you do great things in my name, in spite of this, the impact will last for generations. Do you understand? Thank you, Master. A man like you, healing others, Oh, what a sight. I can't wait to hear your stories when you return. Shalom, my son. Shalom. And James. Remember. You will be healed. It's only a matter of time. Stand in the presence of our loving God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your presence is with us. Not in this, not only in this century, but really every moment of our lives. Give us that renewed faith once again to believe. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this song, Psalm 23.